Hello, this is Joel Porter, and I'd like to welcome you to the Motivational Interviewing and Beyond podcast. Uh, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen to our conversation about Does Listening Save Time? We were joined by some co- colleagues and friends, uh, Dave Rosengren, Margot Bistro, and Ona Brewer as well as loads of wonderful questions and comments from the audience from around the world. So I don't know that we answered the question, does listening save time? But we certainly spent a lot of time talking about listening. And um, even in the beginning, um, I announced that I'm in Christchurch, Australia. So to alleviate any confusion, I'm in Christchurch, New Zealand, and I know where I'm at. Um, So... We hope you enjoy the conversation, and we look forward to any comments that you have. Please share this with your colleagues, students, friends, and anybody else you think who might be interested. Take good care, and we'll see you next time. Okay. I think we should get going. Mm -hmm. You want to get going? Let's roll. Yeah. Good morning, good evening, good day. Um, everybody, kia ora from Christchurch, Australia. Um, I'm Joel Porter, and welcome to Motivational Interviewing on Beyond. I'm with my good friends and uh, colleagues, Angela Watkins, Stephen Rolnick, and David Rosengren. And we want to welcome you to the Motivational Interviewing and Beyond um, webinar. We've been trying to figure out whether to call it a webinar or not or something, but whatever it is, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, so today we have a we have a we have a topic about listening and time, and I'm really intrigued to what um, how the conversation goes and what people think about this. Um, one of the things that we want to do um, on this webinar is we really would like it to be interactive with the people in the audience, and so as you might have heard, we've been you know, talking about, we, I wonder what Anthony has to say or what Andy might have to think about it or Margo. Um, but that, but anybody, if you have some thoughts and ideas, please let us know. Because what this is more than anything, I think, Steve, is this is a conversation more than a teaching thing that you and I and Andrew are trying to do. We just want to have a conversation with each other and with, with our colleagues and our friends around the world around um, around different topics that we feel like are um, are interesting or we want to know more about not here to provide the answers or or to tell people you know this is how it is but you know this is what it is what do people think about it because it's ever evolving what we think we know so that's me and I'll pass it over to Steve um, and then, We'll go to Ange and then we'll open it up and get going. Yeah, and I, I, I've got nothing more to say. You've said everything that needs to be said about the purpose of this. I'm Steve Rolnick and I'm sitting in Cardiff, Wales, and looking forward to a discussion that I'm hoping will be fairly focused on this question about time and having time. Um, and I've got some observations to make about what inspired me to say to you, Joel, let's do this. But I don't need to make those observations now. Up to you, Joe. Anz, you want to introduce yourself, please? 
Hello everyone, my name is Angela Watkins, I'm based in Cardiff, Wales as well, just over the water from Steve Volneck in South Wales. Um, I'm really glad to be here and as a student of MI, recently I've been learning about engaging and reflective listening. So I'll be really interested to see and hear about your experiences putting this to practice. Thank you everyone. Cool. cool. All right, Steve, this topic. Um, when you emailed me and you said, you know, does listening save time? I was like, oh, I'm intrigued, you know. And I and I thought about I thought about some things, but what mainly I thought about was, wh where did that come from within you? Why has that been on your mind lately? This whole idea of the sort of sort of therapeutic time that a lot of us are teaching time or coaching time, the time we have with the people that we get the opportunities to work with. You know, it's a it's a strange thing because. In my world, we came up with this sort of hour. Who said an hour for therapy? That's Maybe that's to help people with their calendars. I don't know. Um, so, And then we have brief therapy, and we're trying to save time, and there's false economies of time, and everybody's time poor, and there's never enough time to do the things we want to do. So I guess what you did is you kind of shot off a pinball in my head that I don't really have okay. a, lot of, a lot of really clear thoughts so I'm real interested in where you where, where this where this came from within you yeah I think it's this incredible contrast between my I don't want to say knowledge because it sounds very arrogant but it, it does feel like that or my personal knowledge of how listening saves time I guess I must be frank I do feel that on the one hand and on the other hand the conviction among people that they don't have time to listen. Okay. And <clears throat> in my world, and it'll be interesting to hear from Andy Williams, who's in the world of schools and education, but in my world at the moment, since in football, soccer and cricket, the overriding impression you get from people, from coaches is that we don't have enough time. Um, and so today I sat in a very privileged position with a, an international cricket coach whom I admire more than any other cricket coach. And I said to him, how's it going, this competition? He says, it's a bit rushed, the whole thing. And I said, how's it with the players? You know, how are you getting on the players? We don't have time. We don't have time. We're just going from one game to another. And that sort of captured it. And I thought about this evening and I thought, yeah, okay. I didn't say anything. But it's that contrast that got that had me thinking about this. And I've got some stories to tell about how listening might save time. And as you know, we've got a video from Dr. Ng, which, which we'll show a little bit later. Yeah. And we've got Dave Rosengren here who will have views and experience and his own personal knowledge of this. As no doubt you will, Joel. Um, so let's go. But the overriding feeling I get is that everybody's rushing, 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 rushing. Um, sure. And in that in that state of mind, they say we don't have time to listen. But, you know, I don't remember this so much. Again, I'm coming from a, a psychology therapy background. And and I don't know about Dave and, and, and you, Steve, but I don't remember in the 80s, this being an issue in the clinics that I worked in that we didn't have enough time. It was more like people aren't coming in for enough sessions. <laughs> and so we, we didn't have enough time with people, I guess, in the long run. 
but I don't remember this sort of, um, as somebody put in the chat, this sort of conditioning that we that we don't have enough time. I don't remember that being an issue. It was always, I wish I could get more sessions with my client. Not that I don't have enough time in the day to work with people. But now that's a constant mantra is that everybody's time poor. They don't have enough time. They don't have enough time, I don't have enough time you know? And so I just thought of that as you were talking. Where did this come from, this thinking of? And, and then in the chat column. You look in the chat column, you see some hypotheses from friends and colleagues about this. Yeah. So Richmond Stace is saying, yeah, we've just been conditioned to think that we don't have time to listen. Um, and Jackie's saying it depends what we are rushing to do. Mm. So the, yeah. the, the chat column is full of very interesting stuff. Absolutely. So, so <laughs> with my with my brain, it's going to be hard to go back and forth, but I'll do the best I can. Why don't you share one of your stories that you were thinking about, just to kind of prime the pump a little bit? Okay. Um, I don't know. Years back, um, I was still living in the world of of motivational interviewing and therapy with this knowledge about reflective listening, and I must confess, in the arrogance of my youth. I thought that we psychologists and experts had the sort of, we were on the royal road to understanding listening and, and the, the wide lot out there, they don't know about it, okay? And I got a very rude awakening one day when <clears throat> I sat in with um, a GP colleague, Paul, who asked me to sit in on his consultations. A GP, sorry, that's a family physician. And um, I heard him make one reflection after another. And reflection, by the way, is what we in the motivational interviewing field mean by listening. And somebody's going to have to explain that. Maybe, Dave, you can do that at some point, okay? Listening being a very active verbal expression. And I noticed Paul using reflective listening a lot in this consultation. And it was moving at an incredible pace. And at the end, I said to him, Paul, what was that that you were doing? You remember when you said that, 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 and I gave him some examples of reflective listening. Well, he'd never heard of reflective listening. He didn't think he was using listening. He said, oh, no, those are my corner cutters. So I said, what do you mean corner cutters? And he said, well, if I, if I say back to somebody what they're what they experiencing and what we've talked about and they nod their heads, it means I can move on to the next subject, so I'm cutting the corner. Yeah. We need your mic on, Joe. Sorry. I mean, that, I mean, that, it's interesting how people come to the same place sometimes you know, unknowingly, you know, as, as though as though we have the market on reflective listening, you know, and, and unless you've learned accurate empathy, active listening, empathic listening, and then how could you possibly know how to do this? When what I'm guessing, Steve, and what that pulls to me is this is sort of a natural way of human communication for and some people pick up on it. And they can see that you can be, it can be quite efficient 
and they just learn it as they go. You know, if I do this, then that happens. But I mean, if you listen to somebody who does really good interviewing, and I don't want to go off on a tangent on MI, someone who does really good interviewing of people, they do a load of and, you know, are really picky with their questions and select. And it gets to the quick. People, people have much more in-depth conversations when they're being connected with in that way. It's what we would, you know, what we would call in the MI world, that empathic kind of way where we're trying to understand what's happening with somebody and, let, yeah. and calibrating yeah. with them. But, and I tell you, Joel, something I definitely noticed in um, over the years studying healthcare consultations is that those practitioners that are just rushing and asking one question after another, particularly using questions, they get into trouble because they ask one question and then they've got to be smart enough to think about the next one. Okay? So now they're rushing and they're stressed and they haven't really got time to think and they ask another quick question. Whereas those who are getting on top of listening skills have got the breathing space in their spirits. As they're listening to someone else, they've got a bit of reflection space to calm themselves down and to consider what they might say next that will be really useful. Mm. So in that sense, the usefulness of their comment, their question or whatever they do, helps to save time because it's not just rat -tat 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 -tat. Anyway, that's just an observation. Well, no, that, that's kind of true because, I mean, you know, from a training story is I don't know how many people that I've been doing motivational interview and training with and people would say this really, you know, this sounds really good, but my client wants me to do something. It doesn't sound like you're doing anything. You're just listening to what people are saying. You know, you know, if somebody's coming in and they're paying me for therapy, they want me to do something. And what you're saying is just to listen to them. You know, they, there's something about, about that, right? That as a helper or a coach or a teacher, we feel like we need to be doing something. And that listening is not doing something. You're just listening. Where the paradox <laughs> kind of paradoxical is because you need to understand what's going on with somebody in order to know what to do. And I think I think there's something about that that's definitely true, Steve, is that we get caught up in our own thinking that we need to be doing something here. Yeah, Joel, I, 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 I once designed this experiment and got research money to do it and it failed. You know, I didn't get it off the ground. But it, it went along these sort of lines, you know. When people are going really fast, their judgment about how much time they're taking is distorted. Yes. Okay. So if they go really fast, they think um, it takes less time, but it actually doesn't. Um, and there's some paradoxes in the heart of this, of, of, of this experience of time that people have that I'm not going to articulate now, but I'll try and do that when I hear our friends and colleagues speak. Okay. Yeah. But I think it might be nice to, to move on and to hear from some of our guests, including Angela. Yeah, absolutely, Angela. What's on your mind with all this? 
Um, you really sparked my imagination, Joel, when you said about good interviewers being good listeners. See, I went to journalism school and I kind of like the journalists who don't come with a set agenda. Maybe you're going to do a feature length interview. And um, what I've been, and it reminds me also of um, a lesson I watched of Steve's recently, who said, and Steve said, the best listeners are sometimes kids because they're curious. They've got, you know, they do have that headspace. They do have that. They're not fixated on time or been to a deadline. They're just open and curious about what they may learn from that conversation. So I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it re- I think it's, it's relevant to lots of different fields as well. Absolutely. You know, coming from someone who's relatively um, new learner to MI. I just think it is fascinating and it's made me reflect as well how I interact on a day-to-day level on my, you know, on my my family relationships and our work relationships as well. So um yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really um I think I think it's something I thought it was simple. And the more I learn about it, I realize it's not simple at all. <laughs> but do it's not easy. It's That's not easy. Sure. It's not easy. It yeah. should yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It take, yeah. And it takes energy and effort. That's right. And, you know, I, I was remembering something that I heard Steve say, God knows how long ago, I was in Melbourne, Australia, and he was just talking about we need to remove the clutter out of our minds yeah. when we're with people. Yeah. And what clutters us up is having agendas, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and having, you know, four, you know, five-page assessment forms we have to get through before we even get to know the person all of that, the traps that Bill and Steve talked about in the first edition of the book that can get in the way of listening. Um, but that clutter, that concept of clutter has really stuck with me, And when I heard mm-hmm. Steve say that. You know, it's, it's really important to be able to declutter your mind. Sometimes. Absolutely. I wonder whether, Joe, I wonder whether at this point, um, it might be helpful for one of us, Margot or Dave, you know, someone new, Margot or Dave, just to briefly clarify what we mean by listening. Just well, brief- how about we, okay, well, I, don't, I don't know that Margot's up on, the, up on the panel yet, but we definitely have Dave Rosengren in Seattle. Um, and I'm, I'd love to listen to what Dave has to say. Um, Dave is a is a close friend and colleague of ours, um, and um, from the MI world. But I'll let Dave share anything he wants to say about himself, um, and I'll just uh, be quiet and listen. I think you've hit the high points. And Margot is up. I can see her, and she can answer this question as right. well, if not better than me. I will take a first stab, and Margot can hop in. Let me start hey, off Margo. by saying. Three things that listening isn't, okay? Listening isn't waiting to take your turn so you can insert what you want to say. So that's, it's a really important thing and it seems pretty straightforward, but it's not just biding our time. And nor is it sharing our interesting anecdote, the advice that we need to share or those kinds of things either. So oftentimes we think about listening as sort of those activities. We're just waiting our turn to say what matters. 
And then sometimes we're sort of marshalling our cannons to take down the argument that we think is just full of holes around all that. And again, not saying that any of you all out there are doing this, but this is one of the things that I see when people talk about vaccine hesitancy or, you know, exercise or diabetes care or alcohol or drug use. Those are the kinds of things that folks sometimes think about as listening. What is listening is really starting with what you guys were just talking about, decluttering our minds. We got to do a little bit of housekeeping. You got to make some space in order to be able to listen to what people have to say. And the more cluttered our mind is, the less space there is for that, the, the less opportunity to be present. And then it's going beyond what the person has said and understanding what's below the words. It starts with a focus on the other person, not ourself, really paying attention to them, and then offering up what we think lies underneath those words, the thoughts, attitudes, beliefs, behaviors in the form of a statement. It's not a question. Questions may help us with the listening process, but a reflective listening statement is a statement. Right. And then the last thing I think is the thing you already hit on. It's about curiosity, that we need to be curious about what the other person is saying. And this is partly why I think seven-year-olds, as I think you were referencing a story about kids and that Steve tells, are so good at it because they're naturally curious. When we get to be my age, 61-year-olds, we think we know what people mean and we become much less curious as opposed to really saying, well, I don't know what that means. Let me find it out. So those are my thoughts. Margo, what would you add to all that? Dave, that was beautiful. Um, I think the piece that I really, I, it, it's, it resonates with me is being present. Um, someone in the chat earlier said, how many people are doing something else while they're listening to this webinar? How many are looking at their email or going somewhere else? And so being present, and that's the hardest piece for anyone to do when working with someone else, is how do you declutter? But the other piece is how do you stay present and balanced internally? Whether you have to go to the washroom, whether you know that you have to another meeting in 15 minutes, how do you do that and still stay with the client, with whoever you're talking to, and give them that 100%? Not thinking ahead of how are you going to respond, because response is not staying present. And that's where that reflective kind of listening is so beautiful. It, 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 it keeps that conversation with the client and that client knows that you're there with them. And so it's this marriage between the two of you. And that's the hardest piece for me personally, because I am, those of you that know me, I have a, 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 an extraordinary amount of energy and so my you mind don't is, say, Margo. <laughs> <laughs> and so being present is probably the hardest thing for me to work on. And so it's the most important piece for me. Um, and I work quite a bit with adolescents and young adults, and they're so used to adults not being present. They may listen for pieces, but they don't listen completely. And that's what makes working or bonding with uh, with adolescents more effective. And if I can't, if I can take a little bit of a side tour, because I want to respond to something that Andy put in the in the chat very early in the webinar. 
And he talked about how do we listen to um, to our learners in school um, and how do we not get our stuff enmeshed in there? That's that piece of being present, taking the breath and saying that unclutter, leave it to the side and be present with them. And you will be the person that they come to to talk to because you've heard them and you've listened to them. Mm. Wow. Dave, can I go back to a couple things? Because I don't know if I wasn't listening, but I missed it for sure. What were the three things that listening is not? Right. I've got waiting for your turn. What were the other two? Those are really important. And I've never heard that before. Well, let me say, first of all, since we're listening well here, I <laughs> am I am dog sitting my grand dog right now. And the UPS truck just pulled off and knocked on the door. So the dogs are going nuts. I think okay. they just quieted down and I'll try to answer that um, question for you. So the three things, the first thing is not just patiently waiting our turn so mm -hmm. that we can talk. The second piece is not um, seeing listening as our opportunity to share our interesting stories or give our good advice or our view about what the person ought to be doing with their life. Okay, so it's really related to the first one. And then the third one is marshalling the cannons to sort of blow holes in the other person's argument. Right, okay, great. So we're looking for, we're looking for targets. Okay, but could, could, could one of you say what listening is in our understanding? In simple language, um, you're not feeling like we hit it quite right, Steve. So it, <laughs> I would say that listening is our hearing what clients are saying and giving it back to them in a manner that adds depth and understanding for them and for us. If all we do is repeat the words that we say to us, that's technically understanding, but it doesn't move the conversation forward. So listening requires more of us. We can stay at that level, but we need to go deeper. So we give it back to a person a way they can use. So listening involves making a statement, not asking a question. And, and two of the things that's really helpful is being as present and curious as possible. Mm -hmm. And being and in accurate. order to do that, you have to declutter. <laughs> okay, can I, can I just tell you another story? Um, sure, Steve. If we, if we accept that listening involves making a statement to somebody that captures the essence of what they're feeling and thinking and saying in some way, how's that? Would that be okay? It, it, it's a statement, okay? Um, the other day I was with somebody who was online in America, a very smart guy, incredibly smart, and he wanted, to, wanted me to mentor him. And uh, he, he said, I'm an expert in questions and asking questions with curiosity. So I thought, wow, this guy is going to learn a lot from, from understanding these listening statements. So I took him through this exercise, and it worked to treat, which was to, we each talked about our favorite place. So I asked him about his favorite place in the world, and I didn't ask a single question. I just made one statement after another, and eventually got to the point where he said, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's exactly why it's my favorite place. And it didn't take long. Okay. And then I said to him, look, how's about 
I do that again, but I'll only ask you questions this time. It was clumsy. It took ages. It was unpleasant for me. Um, and so I think it then hits home for him that this is, and he didn't even notice the statements, you see. So it's, the experience is of, some, is of a natural conversation. Now, I reckon the listening that I was doing there with him when he was talking about his favorite place was saving a huge amount of time. I was mm. just like corner cutting, corner cutting, corner cutting. Very, and so very quickly, the guy said, yeah, you got it. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So there's a concrete example. I just wanted to provide one. I thought it might be useful for folk. Fits really nicely a phrase I heard the other day, and I think we could substitute listening into this. Patience is the shortcut. And in this case, listening is the shortcut, that it gets us there more quickly. I, you know, it's really interesting, Stephen, because I think amongst MI trainers, we all have this belief that listening actually gets us farther, faster than asking questions or giving advice or doing those other things. And when I say we, I'm talking about the client and helping them getting to where they wanna go. But this is a data-driven world and we wanna have some data about this. And quite frankly, when I turn, out, turn to the field to try and look for data that answers this question directly, we can only get triangulation. We don't have specific data showing us that when we listen, that people change more quickly. When you go looking for that, you can't find it. But what you can find are studies that show things like that when people listen, therapeutic alliance goes up. And therapeutic alliance predicts better outcomes for people, okay? Mm -hmm. And typically less of some of the problematic encounters that happen in therapeutic interactions. We see that when we're looking at consistency of therapists, when they engage in listening, that they are more consistent and they have more consistent positive outcomes. Owen and colleagues just did a study on this in 2019 where they looked at this very thing and said high-performing therapists, regardless of who the clients were, if they performed consistently well at the beginning, it predicted what happened with subsequent clients. And it was in part about their ability to listen well. So they moved quickly through and understood what mattered to the client. I think the, the model, I just came out of a training this morning with some folks at the King County Sexual Assault Research Resource Center here in Seattle. And I've got some of those folks on the line. So saying hey to those folks who jumped on here. And we were having this very discussion because we had done some practice where we went slower and it seemed to move us deeper and more quickly. And we asked the group, what do you think? Does that seem to help? And there seemed to be some degree of consensus that when we try to go fast, when we try to offer the information, where we try to move people through by giving them lots of resources, that it gets in the way because they're so busy thinking about those things and maybe the concerns they have about them. And they're not really focused on what's going on with them and what matters to them. So I thought it was some brilliant insights on their part mm. about why it might help. Mm. And if I might add one more thing, and I thought this was a really nice metaphor. One of the folks said, it's like 
our clients are like us. They come into the room with all of these things going on. It's like a tornado. And if we're busy and active, we're just adding more wind to that tornado. And when we slow down, it gives them the opportunity to slow down and the winds die down and then they can see where they're at and make a choice about where they want to go rather than just sort of spinning through their life as they are at that, like they were the moment they came in. And I thought that was a really nice metaphor. Mm. Yeah, there's something really really powerful about about and and one of the things about giving somebody your full attention and i was looking over in the chat and and somebody asked how do you declutter your mind well if i knew that you know I'd, I'd, <laughs> my, my mind is constantly going everywhere but i know that some of it for me has to do with contact and folks and, and you know it's one thing for me to be sitting with a client and i can get really focused right and i can listen and i can be curious and be patient. And then if I'm at home, you know, and things are going on and, and, you know, I get preoccupied and I get things going on and I'm, I'm a little bit distractible, if not a lot of bit distractible at best. And it sometimes, you know, I have a hard time listening. Um, and, and, you know, and it's, it's an interesting kind of paradox is that, you know, at work, I can kind of get zen to all this and I can zoom in. And then if there's other stuff going around, kind of I think what, what Margo was saying, it's hard to for me to filter out the other stuff that, you know, what needs to be done or I want to get this done or I want to get that done. And someone's trying to have a conversation with me. And, and so I think part of it is about being aware of who you're talking to. And, and, and being able to have, for me, to have that conversation within myself to go, whatever else I'm thinking about doing, it needs to just settle back. Because as the old saying, the person you're talking to is the most important person in the world to you right now. That's the person you're with in that sense. And so, you know, to, and, and I have to do some self-talk around that, you know, particularly when there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's just to kind of go, okay, settle down and, and listen, you know, whatever you're thinking about, you have to do, it can probably wait. And if it can't, then, you know, let it be known and then come back to it. Um, and it's the same with work too. If I can't give somebody my full attention, I need to let them know that, you know, you, what you're having to say is really important. However, right now I do have a meeting I have to go to, but we will get back to you. I will get back to you. I want to listen to you. I want to understand. Yeah, it's, Joel, I don't know how to approach this, but it's tricky. If the, the, the reason why we're often listening is to help someone resolve a problem or develop and grow, if that's what we're trying to do, there's a quality of getting out of people's way when you listen. And this very famous cricket coach said to me this morning, I said, how is it out there in this competition? And he said, look, I, people misunderstand what coaching is. This is sports coaching at a very high level. He said, these people have got it within them. They've got their 
capacity to play really well within them. My job is to be curious about how they might express that. Not to insert my wisdom about technique on them. Mm. And I, I thought that was incredible. It was beautiful. Um, and I imagine that the, that the therapists on this panel and the practitioners and people like Andy Williams, a teacher, would probably agree that the more you try and insert and adjust and interpret and impose, the harder it is for people to grow. And, and this experience I had this morning with a sports coach of just getting out of someone's way while you're a privileged witness to their growth. I don't know if that's helpful. I don't know if it's getting out of their way or getting out of, uh, we're getting out of our way around that. Where we hmm. think we have to do something as opposed to doing what it is you're saying there, Steve. Be, you know, be the witness, the one who helps create the conditions where those things can come forward. And it seems to me that's a really vital role that the listener plays in how this move helps move people forward potentially more quickly. It's like we're helping clear some of not only our clutter, but their clutter, and they can see where they want to go and how they want to get there. And if I can jump on that, Dave, the, the piece is getting out of our own way is we don't have to expert. We don't have to be the expert and we don't have to give advice and we don't have to be imparting our wisdom. And that's that impulse that we all have to fight against. That's getting out of our way so we can be present. Yeah, and this guy and I this morning started then discussing, is that really all, co all, all elite coaching is about? And he said, no, I've got stuff to offer. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you feel about that, Margaret. So we're not just talking about some, that, that all you need to do is listen. I no. don't think that's what we're saying. No, and we can give information, we can give advice, but only if they're asking for it or we ask, can we share that? And then it's only in small chunkets. Yeah. Um, I, I had, I had a, a, a session earlier today with a young man going to college. And I said, I asked him a, a very closed-ended question. I said, so do you feel prepared to leave tomorrow? And he said, hell no, I don't have anything packed. And then my question was, well, what would you like me to help you with to get ready for your leaving tomorrow? And then he said, do you know things that normally college students pack for school? And so we had that dialogue where I was giving him some ideas of things to remember, like, you know, remember your toothbrush. I don't know how many college students I know don't bring toothbrushes to school. And so we went through that kind of information exchange. Yeah, yeah. And it's okay that I was able to bring that to him because I've worked in schools. I've worked with college students for years. I have that baggage, but only if he allowed me to give him that yeah, information. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you probably your listening beforehand gave you that permission. Yeah. Your investment in the listening is what allowed you and him to move on to more practical things. And, mm -hmm. and the, the point this, this cricket coach was saying to me this morning was, I'm much more likely to spot something I can help a player with if I shut up and listen and let them develop themselves. 
And then I sometimes spot stuff and I can go up to the player and say, have you thought about this? So um, I thought that was a lovely account of how listening fits into being ex very, very expert. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've told the story, I think, on the webinar, the supervisor who told me to take the cotton out of my ears and put it in my mouth <laughs> after reviewing some of my videotape when I was in my uh, internship. Um, with Barbara Jacobson, I don't know if you know her, Dave, um, from the University of Washington. And she was spot on. And I thought what I had to say was important and relevant, and it might have been, but it was so poorly timed. So, I, I yeah. wonder whether we whether we shouldn't have a listen to Dr. Ng. What? Yeah, let's let's go ahead. We, so, why don't you introduce the 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 video we want to show? Um, it, in in two thousand and thirteen, I was I was in Singapore with Fiona McMaster, and we were running these large workshops on a Saturday and a Monday, um, mostly physicians, and many scores of them, a couple of hundred on each occasion. And we were trying to teach them these skills. They were in a sloping auditorium, so it wasn't easy. And yet we tried. And at lunchtime on the Monday, somebody who was in the workshop on the Saturday just barged into the door just before lunch and said, I'd like to say something. And I said, you mean to me? No, she said, no, to them. I said, what, to the people here? And she said, yes. So I said, go ahead. And what she said was so interesting that when we broke for lunchtime, we asked the camera people who'd been filming it whether we could interview her. And we can show you now that interview. Perhaps I'll only add that I've been trying for years to get hold of this doctor, to speak to her about what she was saying, and by complete fluke, I think the last webinar, I noticed her name in the chat column. Mm. So um, I was able just this week to have another conversation with her. And that was really uh, a very um, uplifting experience to speak to her again after all these years and ask her, well, what's changed? And I won't say anything about that now, but maybe have a look at this interview we did with her because her story addresses the central question here, does listening save time? I think Ange is going to put it on for us. Oh, thanks, Ange. That's the one. You'll see it is on YouTube under the title you can see there. Okay. You ready? Uh, this is Dr. Ng from Singapore and Dr. Fiona McMaster from England, and we're going to have a brief conversation about uh, what happened, I guess, to Dr. Ng's patient. Um, perhaps you'd like to start, Fiona. So perhaps to start, could you tell us a little bit about your MI training? Well, I've only had like three hours of MI training. That was in May um, 2012. That was because I was attending an addiction briefing about um, my for my graduate of mental health, diploma in mental health. And so that was three hours. And after that, I attended a one-hour session or less than an hour that Fiona McMaster gave. So it's only four. 
and followed by a training with Dr. Stephen Ronick, which was just held last weekend. That was about seven hours. And can I can I stop you there? Can I stop you there and ask you, you know, when when you came for that training on Saturday, it was just a couple of days ago, you had questions in your mind about a particular really difficult decision you were trying to make with a patient. What was that about? Because you came and spoke to me and said, how can MI be used with this? Can you describe what the dilemma was for you? Okay, the dilemma was because I have been trying everything that I've known in my four hours of training. And um, it was a difficult situation because he had been someone I've been working with for years and he was at a major crossroad in his life. He had this condition that he actually needed a consider um, dialysis on a fairly urgent basis for an advanced renal disease. And he absolutely refused to even consider about that, even though I had a relationship with him. So I was really desperate because he also seen the renal physician and refused to, to take anyone's advice. Yeah. So here was a really difficult decision that you felt a patient needed to make. And you'd put a lot of effort in, it sounds like, um, over the over the previous week with telephone calls and consultations to try and get him to change his mind and make this decision. And then something happened to you during the training that made you think about you might be able to handle it differently. What happened in the training that made things different for you? Oh, the training was really wonderful. It really taught me five things that were important. Number one was slow down. Yeah, I'm afraid I've been very worried about him because I've actually known him through the years. I didn't want to lose him to, you know, a medical illness. And so far, he's been able to listen very well. But this time, he was just resisting. So it, it reminded me to slow down. And we also learned about the importance for engagement. And I realized, yeah, I haven't really been engaging him Afresh, every time I meet him, it was like, I thought I'd known him like many years ago. I've always had that engagement. Almost like there was no need to re-engage. Yeah, yeah, no need to re-engage. So the reminder to re-engage and then the need to actually listen to him and listen to what he was really feeling. And then the need to reflect, really reflect, just reflect and reflect and reflect. So I actually went back and I actually started engagement again anew and um, started to um, reflect, really reflect what he said. And um, this time it was within about five to eight minutes after my reflection, he actually opened up his heart. And after that, within the series of two minutes, he actually had a lot of change talk. It was like a little bit he would share and then he, it would, would be a change talk. A little bit more and it would change talk and it was a little bit more and it would be a change talk when he never had this change talk regarding his kidney problem before and it was things that he was just mentioning about. Now I'm starting to think it's about my kidneys which he has been refusing to even mention or even think about that. And he even asked me about, you know, now I've been thinking about dialysis and over, you know, the several months he's been refusing to think about it. It's like, you know, in just that short training I was able to apply, it was really useful. And in fact, he even told me right now, you know, I'm really thinking and I want to go back and see the renal physician again. It's like, wow. And that's really a breakthrough because in the last two months, he's actually been avoiding this area completely. Mm. Yeah. So this was... Uh... Saturday was the training. Yes. And then you've already seen the patient. It's Monday afternoon. 
When did you see the patient? I just saw this patient on uh, Monday morning at about 10 o'clock. This morning? Yeah, and so morning, within right? about like 10, 10, 10, 10, 15, he was out of my room. As our normal consultations would be 20 minutes to half an hour, he was oh. out of my room within 10, 15 minutes and he felt good. I felt good. It's like, phew. And so it's quite strange then because you're actually saying that the use of listening saved you time. The use of the effective um, way of um, am I listening with the um, reflections save me time, yes. Because I was listening before, but I wasn't doing this sort of reflection when I was actually reflecting, reflecting and reflecting his feelings to him and asking him um, because I was like relaxed. And previously it's like I would have a particular uh. agenda. So it's like, and what we learned was during the Saturday was slow down. You don't know where it's going to go. Just let it be. And that made the difference. Slow it down and let it go. I don't know where it's going to go. And I had no agenda. And it really, it was so successful. It's like, oh my, no agenda is actually better. So funnily enough, the more you slowed down, the better was your progress. And the, the less you tried to create a direction and, and, and oblige this person to go in a particular direction, the better was your progress. Yes, in fact, he was able to bring the focus himself in the picture. And ah, I was so I astonished. It. The focus actually came from him. He was actually talking about renal. He was actually talking more about his kidney. And he was talking about ah. more of the symptoms pertaining to his kidney. He was actually talking about, now I'm open to consider. Okay. He actually gave the focus himself and he was actually giving questions that I could actually invoke more thought from him, whereas I couldn't do any of that before. That's really interesting. So he knew what you were interested in, but more important, he knew what was in his own best interest. Yes. Yeah. And it was astonishing because previously he would just be very resistant. Yeah. Today, instead of resisting, resistant, he was actually like, I'm no longer resistant. I'm actually, you know, I don't know. Is that... Openness. Openness and, and, and clarity of thinking that allowed him to yes. make it. And he was calmer. He's usually so upset and angry. And therefore, he, he would shut down. Yeah. And I will feel his anger. Today, he wasn't at all angry. In fact, I was very calm and he was very calm. We were both very calm. It was quick and fast. And calmness makes the difference. Oh, yes. I was so astonished and I realized yeah. that just by... Little bit I had to change. Yeah, it was a, a small change for you made a big difference for him. Yeah, well, thank you so very, very much for sharing your ideas with us. And uh, we'll use this in training, and I'm sure you will you will stand out for many people as a, um, a beacon of hope in busy practice. So thank you so much, Dr. Thank you, Stephen Rowling, for teaching us, and Dr. Fiona McMaster. What we learned that day was really powerful. Great. Thank you very much. Excellent. Oh, that's fantastic. For lunch today, I'm having Huel's Hot and Savory. They come in three different flavors. You've got the Thai green curry, the tomato and herb, and their new flavor, the Mexican chili, which is going to make it for lunch today. They are rice, quinoa, and Apologies, okay? Don't worry about it. I just, I haven't had breakfast yet, and the green curry sounds good. Um, cool. Reflections and thoughts, people. Margo, what do you think? You're muted, my friend.
the classic Zoom statement, you're muted, please unmute. Can you hear me or you're yeah. muted? <laughs> this is not the first time I've watched that video and I still enjoy it. What I what I appreciate so much about it, Steve, is at the very beginning, you do a beautiful summary and then you invite her to talk more about it. And she keeps on talking about how excited she was about that process of her excitement. It worked. I reflected and he made changes and he did something different and he decided to take care of himself because I was reflecting back what was important to him. Not what was important to me, but was important to him. And that was the beauty of it. She said she just spent 15 to 20 minutes with him, which for a normal consult is really a doctor looking through their paperwork and say, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? She put that aside and just engaged. It was just a, a beautiful report, which he developed there. And so we're, we're coming to perhaps a resolution here. And I think what might help is to clarify why it is that you can make faster progress by listening. What, what is it that we've picked up in this, in this webinar so far? that explains that. And Dave? Yeah, I think there are a few things that happen when we do that. The, the first thing is, is that we don't engage dissent with people. And we know that dissent slows progress when we start arguing with people about things. So when we're listening, we avoid that whole area. We also understand better what the issues are and more importantly, what's important to that client, just like the doctor was describing there, finding out what matters. And once we find out what matters there and they're able to articulate and begin focusing on it, then they start to move towards the change using the things that they already know about. It also then allows us, and we were talking about this before we watched the video about, is there a place for the skills or the things we have to offer? And the answer is absolutely yes. And it's about the timing and the target of those things. It's only going to the things that clients want to know about and need some assistance with, not the things that we feel like they have to know um, along the way. So I think all of those things help to make the process more efficient and stop us from wasting time on things that we think are important, but the client doesn't, isn't interested in doing or our brilliant plan that isn't going to work in their circumstance because of all the things that they know about. So I think those are, there's other things as well, but those are just some practical applications about why listening might actually go faster than something else telling people what to do, for that example. Is, that is really superb, Dave. Thank you so much. And uh, I wonder whether we could bring Andy Williams in. Absolutely. Because a lot of our conversation has revolved around healthcare and therapy, and Andy's been immersed for many, many years in the world of education. And I've got a, a really blunt question to ask Andy. So if somebody can, Angela, can you find him? Are you around, Andy? Hi, Andy. I'm just having difficulty for lo locating him now. Okay. If, if you're here, Andy, pop your hand up and we can identify you. 
It looks like he's taking a break. Yeah. Okay. He's, okay. He did have some really nice comments, though, that I've kept note of. So Andy asked earlier, does, does the style and type of listening change according to the purpose, role of the listener? Um, and also a nice comment recently from Jackie Webb. If you're not listened to, you have to keep repeating yourself. So it takes more time. I wonder yeah. if Jackie would like to come up and talk. Yeah. And join us. Jackie, we'll send you an invitation because you've also mentioned something about your son who's a natural listener. And I, it got me really curious. He was 18, I believe. <laughs> If you can get Jackie or Anna Brewer, any luck there? We'll see. I'm curious about the thoughts about Anna says hi, so I'm guessing she will. Sorry, Dave. Go ahead. I was just I'm curious about the the panelists' thoughts about does listening change based on where the person is in the process of thinking about the possibility of a change, whether that's sport or healthcare or schools. What do you think? I've been in the full spectrum. I've worked in schools, I've been in healthcare, I've been in marketing. I know it's a negative word and it's still the same kind of listening because what you're looking at is what are the client's needs, wants, desires, wishes and working with them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Jackie's not able to join us, but we're delighted to welcome Anna onto the panel. Okay. Hey, Anna. Oh. Welcome. So, so, thanks for having you, me. I'm catching you, up on you, Dave's question. <laughs> Thank yes, you. Yes, jump right in. So, Dave, was your question, does a person change as a result of being listened to? No, it's actually a little bit different is does the nature of how we listen change based on where the person is in the in the process of making a change from sort of the beginning to sort of the middle to the end? Do we shift at all in that process in terms of how we do it or what we do? In yeah, I see, I see Steve's head shaking no and I'm thinking I don't I don't. I don't want to have to change all that much as I go through. I think that that might interfere with authenticity a bit and um, what I'm listening for might change as, as they're moving through a process. But I don't know that I, that I do that. that yeah. mm -hmm. It's not how you listen. It's what you listen for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, for some reason, the word effort came into my mind. And, and it's like if they're in the early stages of change, there's a lot of effort, you know, that you have to put forward to really do the things that we've talked about what listening is and to get really clear on figuring out what's important to this person. What do they want? What are they willing to do and not do? And, and that requires a different kind of effort than somebody who has said, okay, I'm going to do this. I just need some ideas about how to do it, right? That's that sort of the, the hill of change that Bill once put up. You know, when you're on the implementing side of change, you know, the momentum's moving downhill. 
when you're preparing for change, the momentum's coming uphill. Um, and that takes effort on our part, particularly when we've been taught things like we're not supposed to be the ones doing the work, whatever that means. Um, it's the clients who are supposed to be working, you know, and but it takes effort on our part to really to be there and to be facilitating and guiding the conversation and listening and just listening. And I think a lot of people get really impatient because they're not doing anything. They're not teaching, they're not coaching, they're not doing therapy things. They're, they're just listening. Ona, what strikes you about all this today? That, that question about what is listening and, and I keep finding my mind coming back to that. And it's, it's such a, it's such an inherent part of being human and how we need it so much and need to, to be listened to. And it is at the same time, such a gift we're offering someone else to bring our full attention to them. So can I, so can I ask you, Ona, I mean, I, this is not a smart ass question. I don't know the answer. Okay. But if this is something that is so important and powerful and useful, how come kids aren't taught how to do it? How come there's such a grand delusion out there that I don't have time to listen because listening means I sit on my bum and do nothing and say nothing. That's the, that's the delusion that's out there. People think listening means I shut up and the other person just talks and I lose control. Okay, that's, that's the delusion that's out there, right? If it is as important as we're making out, how come children are not taught the skill? Because we say it's a skill. How come adults, parents aren't taught it? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that this morning. Um... A completely different context talking about listening, but with children as well. And um, having had some kids in my life around nieces, nephews, and noticing all the different ways they listen or don't listen. I think kids are, we maybe as, as parents or we, teachers or, or caregivers are often just telling kids to listen and pay attention. Um, and maybe that so much of it comes from modeling it and and slowing down and being with them and listening that uh, perhaps that's how we learn. Um, and yeah. I think there's an effort to, to make up for our, um, what we might be calling deficits in attention. And we, we but we all have them. You know, we're in a, a modern context where there's so much pulling at our attention. And right now there's a chat box popping up. There's, you know, and I want to be attending to so much. Um, we've, the kids have so many stimuli that, that are coming at them. So if and, the kids don't see it modeled, yeah. how the hell can they learn? Yeah. yeah. At home. Um, but I, you know, that's why I was wanting Andy to come on, Andy Williams yeah. from education, because I'd like to, I just don't understand why we don't teach it to kids. I don't, I think it goes one of these things, Steve, as, an, as a parent or someone who works with children, you can't teach what you don't know. And if nobody's ever listened to you or taught you how to listen, 
and you've been instructed to do and to teach or to coach or to help that you, you don't know how to do it. I think it's a skill that a lot of things that we assume that people know how to do, whether it's parenting children or listening or um, figuring out how to do manage their time or set a budget. I mean, there's all or talk about how you feel. Right. We just assume people are not doing it because they're choosing. But I, I, I think part of it does come through role modeling of how children are interacted with by the adults in their life. I do believe we can teach it, but it has to be a value that we think is important. I don't like think spelling. I remain seriously, I remain seriously puzzled and disturbed about this, honestly. Just don't. I remember. I remember early in the piece, and we uh, we may need to revisit this. You wanted to have a webinar on listening to children. That was one that, the, and that one that keeps coming back around, and I think it's important. You know, I mean, if if this is so fundamental to human well-being, let's put it that way, and we're saying that it's not given equal prominence to reading, writing, and arithmetic in school. There's something, there's something wrong. Mm. And it's, well, I, it's, I think the psychologists have got a lot to answer for here because I think we've mystified this, we've made it more complicated than it is. So to be honest with you, I'm frankly irritated with the field of psychology because we should be giving this stuff away and it's not happening. And... Uh, it, although we say it's difficult to do, you know, I remember when my daughter, and she's not a, an exceptional kid, but when she was like, I don't know, nine, she phoned me on Skype bored in a, at a friend's sleepover. I think I might have told the story before. And she says, I'm bored. And I said, well, look, you're in a sleepover. What are you hassling me for? And she says, well, I'm bored, daddy. So I said, okay, shall I play a game with you? And she said, yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to ask you about your favorite place, Okay. And then you're going to do the same to me, okay? And I want you to pay attention to how I'm asking you. So I asked her about her favorite place, and I made seven or eight listening statements in a row. And then we, we switched around, and she did exactly the same with me. You know, age nine or ten. Absolutely. So they yeah. can do it, you know? They do do it the pieces that has to be reinforced and I'm going back to my behaviorism it has to be reinforced throughout society, school, home, everywhere. And it's not because what happens is that we get different messaging. What is the strongest messaging that they get? The strongest messaging that young adults get right now is through this. And that's not listening. That's talking at. And so we have this, battle in a way, and it is a battle, is how do we put the phones down? How do we put the media down and stay present? Well, I was just kind of thinking that most relational breakdown has to do when people stop listening. I mean, most, think about couples therapy, you know, People, they, we, we cannot communication problems. Basically, people just stop listening to each other. 
you know, and it is, it's a core, I think it's a core skill, you know, and I think, you know, that, that it needs to be consciously attended to. Yeah. And not outsourced to schools, but adults and significant people and parents need to be doing this with children. And that's teaching them how to listen is, but you have to pay attention and life gets busy. I totally get it. You know, I totally get it. And it's easier to tell people what to do and do it for them and all that kind of stuff. But it takes, it goes back to what's listening and what's not listening. Do you think- So, you- so I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Angela. Oh, sorry. I, I was just wondering, do you think children are natural listeners? And it's through- Oh, fault God, of, yeah. They don't miss them. Verse, really, the deep, the deep conditions to it. it so like you say, Margot, it's, it's not modeled, is it, in us? Well, here's the complicated piece, and I'll just throw this out here, um, is I agree, Steve, that we need to do a better job around that, and we need to value it. And we do, as Margot was saying, what we, what we pay attention to, what we reward is what gets done around things. But I grew up in a household with parents who were trained in parent effectiveness training. This is all about active listening. And there was a clear shift in our family when we started to do that. And so I grew up with parents who had brilliant listening skills and it was really great. And despite that, (coughs) in all the years of training that I do, I still sometimes don't listen very well, all right? And it usually gets me into trouble when I don't do it. And it's usually evident to me at the time, even though I sail forward into something I shouldn't be doing. So I don't think that this is a black or white thing altogether. There's shades of gray here, and we need to sort of acknowledge that, that yes, we can do a better job, but that doesn't solve all the difficulties with the fact that we aren't listening. And in fact, John Gottman would say, yeah, couples communication may break down around talking, but you know what we really need to do? We need to teach people how to make repair attempts. So Mm. that's what Gottman does now, not so much communication skills, but how to repair when you screw up. And, you know, so I don't I think there are a whole series of soft skills. And this is what business is likes to talk about now amongst their managers and executives is people need soft skills so they can do their job effectively. And we haven't valued those things. And how do we go about valuing them? And maybe that's a place where it helps us out in the rest of the world, because if business says it's important, then maybe the rest of us will think it's important, too. So, so Dave, could you identify a few of those soft skills for us? Well, the very first one is the one we've been spending all our time talking about, listening. You got to listen to your employees instead of telling them what to do. That motivation doesn't come from the top down. You know, and a vision for an organization doesn't come from the top down. Asking good questions is a close second to that, but listening is the first one. Okay. And finding out about values and those kinds of things and all sort of come with that. It's amazing the parallels, right? Because we like to think, oh, you know, our world is very different than the business world. And it's not, you know, we're human beings. We all have the same diagnosis, don't we? Human beings, you know, and, and we're so much more similar than we are different. If we could just listen to each other. And try to understand, you know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
as Dave was as sharing about that, I found myself thinking about the word humility and that that's required too, to, to, to recognize, okay, I wasn't listening. Let me start. And then do I get it? Am I getting this? And that clear, you know, with that willingness to be wrong and to misunderstand and then try again. That's so much of relationships. Um, so yeah, there's no aspect and that's that. a way to save time. eh? you know, mm-hmm. it's clarity. Cause yeah. if you're not spending time kind of waste, not expending time, I don't know if you can waste time, expending time, um, figuring things out, you know, what's, but, but if you can find a way, like Steve had mentioned in one of his stories and Dr. Nee, you know, that there's something about listening and responding in a um, complimentary way that actually gives you greater clarity as to what's going on, which gets things, builds momentum and yeah. gets things yeah. moving faster. Yeah. You know, what's striking me listening to this is that um, if you ask, well, why is it that children don't experience listening around them as much as they might? I I think one of the explanations might be that the, the role models, the parents and the teachers are emotionally too aroused, too stressed out and aroused. I'm too busy. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. I'm cross or I don't understand why you haven't cleaned your room. And so our, our, as adults, our inability to kind of emotionally regulate to the point where we can just be with a kid and listen is a challenge. I, I, I can't listen if I'm uptight with my kids. You know, there's no way. So, and I think that's pretty normal, but it's it just seems a pity that... Uh, people don't seem to appreciate that if they did just calm down and listen, they could make much better progress. Okay, I think I'm beginning to sound like a stuck record and it's time for me to stop, please. So I'm not going to say anything more in this in this webinar, Joel. Okay, uh, I won't let you. I hand it over to you and please carry on for as long as you like, but I'm not going to say anything else because I've just got grumpy, as you can see. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm really curious. Hang on, Margo. Sorry. To, sorry. I'm real curious. And I do. I would like you, maybe you can end with your blunt question for Andy, because you've kind of put it out there and I'm intrigued. Um, or not. Or you can tell me later. No, Margo, the, blunt, the, blunt, the blunt question for Andy is, why on earth have they become so obsessed with outcomes in education and so little attention is paid to listening? And in your experience, Andy, what has been the value of listening? And he would have been able to answer that one beautifully. I know because he told me the most amazing stories. Okay. Great. Okay. Thanks Thanks for indulging me. Marga, all yours. Oh, I lost it. Um, I was was thinking about what Steve said about being a parent. Um, I think the other piece as a parent that, is very difficult for a lot of us to do. And talking about even if we're therapists and we're educated and we have all of the ideas and we've taught how to be it, is that when we make mistakes owning it with our children and adults in general in society owning that they make mistakes and they've made a mistake with that child and not 
beating themselves up about it, but going in and saying, you know, I, I did something that I don't think was right here. And let me clean this up with you. That's the repair. That's the repair. And it's so important. And I, teachers are starting to do that. I'm seeing that in the school systems. Parents are starting to do that. It, we still have a lot to do with it, but it's starting to happen. And that's when we learn to listen because we're listening to ourselves and to how the other person's reacting to us, whether we're up here and they're down here, which is a typical hierarchical system with a parent and a child or a teacher and a child. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the learnings that I had was that, and I, and I certainly learned this from my, my wife more than anything else, is that, Joel, you're, you're the adult here. <laughs> it's your job to do the repair. You know, you need to do that. You know, you know, deal with your feelings, get regulated, but go back and do the repair because that's what's important. You know, remember, you know, there's no, there's no I've never felt more, I'm almost ashamed. Well, yeah, I've never felt more kind of worried about myself when I found myself arguing with a five-year-old. <laughs> like I needed to be right. Been there, done that. <laughs> I have I have an example with my youngest that I think in some ways brings us back to the topic here too when fitting with this. So I got a call from the school one day um, after school saying you need to come pick up your son. He was caught cheating on a math test that he was making up after school. And I was, as most parents would be, was pretty dysregulated at that moment. I was unhappy with him. I was mad. And I drove the whole way down there sort of stoking that anger, right? Like, what the hell? We didn't raise you to be this way to cheat on tests, really? And so when he got in the car, my first question to him was, what the hell were you thinking? Right. Really great question. Right. You know, not anyone that I would encourage any of you to be doing to which he responded, as you would expect, defensively. And, and you know, I asked what happened and he told me that he, you know, that, you know, I, I don't know, I panicked and I did this thing and, and I was just beset and the conversation went nowhere. And I just continued riled up. We pulled up to a stop sign and I did a little decluttering, a little self-regulation. I said, look, it, I'm sorry. I was angry. That was really not helpful. Let me back up here. I know that this is not the kind of person you are. I know what's important to you and school's important. Tell me about what was going on here. And it shifted everything. At that point, the tears came. And he started telling me about how he got in there and thought he was prepared and he wasn't and he didn't know what to do and he struggled through the first few items and he wasn't getting through them and then he just he saw his phone sitting there and thought well I can I can look up an answer maybe I can pass this and right as he picked up the phone the teacher walked in and caught him and it was like terrible and now he had to face his teacher the next day and he felt horrible and he had failed the test and his grade was going to go down there wasn't anything I could do as a parent that was more punishing than the internal process that he was going through at that moment and if I wanted to help him grow past this moment, it was about listening to this distress and what had happened and then helping him think through 
how he was going to manage this and how he was going to deal with, you know, the next time he had a math test coming up. So he wasn't back in that circumstance. That went way faster than would have happened if I had stayed angry, grounded him, said, you're going to do your homework at the table and I'm going to be watching you for the next you know, bit of time until you have another test and you're going to write a letter of apology to this teacher and all the rest. None of that had to happen because I spent a little bit of time listening and regulating myself. Thank you for the story. That saved a lot of time and a lot of tears. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, guys, we're, we're officially coming to the, to the end of it. And, you know, we'll, you know, if you can, we'll hang out and hopefully get some more interaction with the audience. Maybe bring, if somebody else would like to come up and join the conversation, um, that's fine. But I guess just some closing comments. And Steve, you can choose to comment or not. I know you said you wanted to not say anything, but, you know, doesn't matter. No, um, other than goodbye and thank you so much for joining us and um, I apologize if I became grumpy. We take you as you are, Steve. We love you anyway. Um, and what are, what are your closing thoughts? Um, I've just learned so much, and I think it's it's a lot of lots of lot of inspiration to think about. And I especially enjoyed looking at the comments, the discussion on the side here. And um, I've got one from Diana, and it and it reminds me of a training video I've seen recently with um, Terry Moyers. Um, that the best listening for a client is where am I? Is where the counselor allows the client to listen to himself in that conversation where the client is the client and the counselor the other him. So I just I guess it's given given the person room to 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 hear themselves. Mm. But um, no, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you to everyone. Thank you very much. Yeah. Dave, how about you? I think I've already said enough already. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right. Anna? Thank you for having me. I, um, I, I'm not feeling grumpy. I'm feeling very tired today. And I think that's one of the pieces to notice that's a limitation to our listening. So I just appreciate the space to, to recognize that which makes listening hard and then to nurture ourselves to be the most capable that we can be. And this, this nurtures me. So thank you. Thanks for um, jumping on when we put you on the spot. Um, I, I actually love it when people come up from the uh, audience and want to join the panel. Um, it just adds a whole nother angle. To it. How about Margo? What are your thoughts? Um, thanks for being present with me. I have a little too much caffeine today, and so I'm feeling that I was having to really fight being mm -hmm. present because I was over-caffeinated. Um, but the mm -hmm. piece that I really enjoyed was how succinct some of the descriptions were of how to be how to listen how to stay present and listen and some of the mechanics and I know it wasn't as clear as we wanted but it was really discussed fully and I liked that I enjoyed that piece cool cool well I I, I appreciate you know um, hanging out with y'all and I'm doing some training this afternoon with a lovely group in the Philippines and I've already thought about some things that I'm going to include around listening and spend a moment in there just to kind of fan that a little bit. So thanks for giving me that information, um, Margo and Dave. Um, you know, and, and I guess 
I guess what, what resonates with me is just how valuable listening is with people that you care about. And, and as you said, Anna, it's a gift to listen to somebody. Um, and it's a gift to receive it as well, too, and to give it. Um, so I appreciate that, Anna. Um, and that's where I'm going to kind of focus on is, you know, just being present um, and decluttering. I don't know how to do it, folks, but I'm working on it. Um, but, and with that, you know, thanks. Much appreciated. Well, um, we'll see folks now. And the other thing is I just want to appreciate the little community. Um, oh, somebody asked me what I'm going to bring into the training today. Um, well, one is I'm going to bring in the what listening is not and what the listening is. That's for sure. I think that's such a nice conversation starter with a group, particularly when you're doing motivational interviewing training and you're wanting to work around kind of engaging and focusing. Um, so that's one of the, that's one of the really big things. And I think I'm going to pinch Steve exercise a favorite place. Um, Cause I'm always looking for a new thing that isn't about some problem. Somebody's feeling I'm building um, particularly in listening exercises, um, get to the other stuff later. So that's, that's where I was coming from. So I'm glad I caught that question, but I just appreciate the community that kind of hangs out with us. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun ride and I hope um, we'll take it as long as people find it useful. Um, so that's what I got. And we'll catch people next month. Um, and that's that. So goodbye, folks. Everyone. We'll just hang out for a few minutes as people exit and um, get on with your days, your evenings, or your mornings, whatever it is you're up to. I'm, I'm writing those three things down because what Margo and I have talked about, do, do we talk about what listening is not? And listening, that list just grows and grows and grows. There's so many things that are yeah. not listening, and it's nice to have you know, th an idea for three key ones that can really help summarize it. Cool. Cool. And we'll put the, um, we'll put the video up of the Dr. Knee as well with uh, along. I'll see if we can get that from Steve. We'll put it up on our YouTube site so people can have that to watch. Um, and resource, you know, we want to develop a resource page so people can freely access. So, um, you know, we're building it as we go. I once heard Dave use uh, the uh, analogy of, you know, we're now that we got the bus going, we'll figure out how to put the brakes on. Um, <laughs> it's um, runaway. Sorry about that, Joel. You, you've created a runaway bus. That's fine. Yeah, no, it's really cool that people are coming from around the world to hang out with. That's, that's inspiring. It's really inspiring. So, gang, I didn't quite say what I was meaning to say there around those three things. So I'm just going to pop those into the host and panelists. I've been working on a TED Talk 
around these things. And so, you know, paring it down and the, the, the one that I missed that I should have said is we assume that we know what someone means. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of the first thing. And that I, and I presented the second two as the first and second there. So sorry, my head wasn't quite clear. I was not fully caffeinated enough. So we yeah, assume what yeah. we know someone means we're just waiting our turn or we're waiting is to that, turn our cannons. Is that similar to the, um, oh, what did, what did you guys call it, Steve, in the first edition? We already formulated what's going on with somebody. Trap. Mm. One of the trap um, pre-formulation and, and something like that trap. Uh, but it was yeah, one of the traps. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while, but yeah. It, it's to go back to Thomas Gordon for me, and so much of what our brain does with what we hear people say, it just goes right to what what we immediately think it means, and that good listening is. Is slowing down and generating all po so many possible meanings before we respond. Yeah. Yeah. I've been meaning to ask you, Steve, what happened to the traps? I love the traps. You guys seem to just let them go. What happened to what? The trap. The expert trap. The <clears throat> confront confrontation of denial trap that you wrote about in the first edition of the book. I don't know. I haven't a clue. Don't it, know what it was 1991, Steve. You were young, good looking. Your hair was down to your ass. <laughs> um, and uh, you guys outlined several traps. You know, it was it was like the expert trap. Uh, what were they, guys? Um, I'm not making this trap, up, am I? The assessment trap. Confrontation of denial trap. Yeah, they were um, quite handy, weren't they? And and I still use them. Yeah, I'll probably get pulled up on it by the by, by Minties, um, but I still think it's I still think they're incredibly useful. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. signposts. They're like signposts, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, gang. Well, I'm going to hop off any, um, did you get what you wanted? I know we sort of strayed off the topic of listening, going slow, but this, I really did go looking at the literature to see if I could find anything that talked about talk time and outcomes or, you know, listening and outcomes, and you just don't get anything specifically in relationship to listening versus not leading to differential speed of outcomes. Well, I think you described it well by triangulation, like mm -hmm. cell phone triangulation. I had to go, why is he talking about, tri oh, that's what he's talking about. I like that way of describing that sort of data where it's kind of inferential, but it's not explicit. You can't just say, okay, this study indicates that, but there are studies that kind of capture it, you know, if, if you can, you know, do that. You, you know, with, with these webinars, we, we have a starting point, which is kind of a question. So I, I, I feel like I, you know, I'm coming away with new stuff, new ideas, new ways of thinking about the work I do, the training I do, and, you know, the people in my life. So yeah, I got what I wanted, absolutely. And I got to hang out with you guys and everybody else. That's the best you know? part, right? <laughs> yeah.
And Dave, you always put things in a beautifully concise, understandable manner versus I wasn't prepared for this. And so I rambled. It was nice to have that concise piece where it gave me something to work off of. So thank you. Well, in all fairness, Margot, I texted you 10 minutes before we started. Yeah, and I didn't get the text until like, I got hopped on and I looked at it. And you said, can I bring you up as a panelist? That's when I knew I was going to be a panelist. Okay. Well, <laughs> you, you screwed up and told me you were coming on. To look, coming on. Um, cool. No, no, no. Well, that's the whole thing is, you know, you know, people can, when we ask people to come on, you prepare as much as you need to watch. Yeah. Um, this, this isn't about, you know, a scientific presentation, but I'm glad you know, Dave, you, you did reach, you did do that. That's great. That's cool. And I'm wondering if any of the people that are still on want to come up and join the conversation. We have about 20, 20, 20 participants that are, are still listening to our conversation. Sure. Yep. Steve, Steve looked run, like Andy's. he packed it up. Dave's going to go. I'll and see you. Yeah, nice it's getting late over there. Well, people are having to shoot off. That's fine. No worries, Steve. We'll catch you later. All right. Well, folks, we'll just call it a day. That sounds good. I Thanks go again, Joe. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was great fun. Thanks for coming on, Anna. Thanks, Margot. Thanks for just stepping in. Um, you just never know what's going to happen when you show up for one of our events. Yeah. <laughs> I was glad I wasn't like in the bathroom when you pulled me up. <laughs> <laughs> And as usual, thanks a million. Oh, thank you so much, Joel. Thank you. Yeah, great job again. I'll edit it down and get it up on YouTube and get the podcast out in the next, Brilliant. In the next day. Cool. All right. Yeah. We all have fun. Bye. Talk to you later. Talk Bye. to you soon, Bye. Margo. Bye. Read the poo ball. Yeehaw, book em.